You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Good morning, beloved. Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7 or your device and turn to and flip to or tap to Matthew 7 beginning in verse 13. And one of the reasons why I love that we go through books of the Bible uh, most of the time is that when you go through Scripture, line by line, chapter by chapter, you tend to come across passages that you knew, but maybe you didn't know the immediate context of them. And when you learn what's happening around them, it brings a kind of connectedness to the passage that you, you didn't really know before. And what we're going to see today is Jesus is going to talk about uh, over these next two weeks as he's beginning to kind of land the plane on the Sermon on the Mount, that he begins his conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount today. He will say things like, enter in through the narrow gate. And if you hear my words and do them, you'll be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And you could hear that without the context and it sounds good. But if you hear it in the context, it is now tethering everything Jesus has been saying from Matthew 5 and the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, not retaliating, loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, not uh, blowing your trumpet when you go to give or when you go to serve. And now all of these things come together. And Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to follow me. And he's going to tell us, I want you to enter in and I want you to endure with me, to decide to follow me and then actually follow me along the way. So if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the words of Christ. And we'll begin in verse 13. And the Lord Jesus tells us, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. There are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Be on your guard against false teachers, false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by the fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help us now to hear your word, to, to learn what it means today and to be revived and reminded again today what it means to enter into the narrow gate and to hear your word and to walk with you wherever you're taking us now, Lord. There are a lot of difficulties in life. Some we cannot avoid. Many we want to avoid. But with you, but with you we can make it till the end. So help us now, King Jesus, and it's in your name and by your blood that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This past week, Lawson Flowers and I, he's our student and family minister, we flew to Indianapolis for the big Gospel Coalition conference that happens every other year. And we got to hear Tim Keller, uh, Ray Ortland, Legan Duncan, John Piper, and, and many others. And it was, it was great. And I was reminded of that this week as I was thinking about the sermon. What happens when you get to the airport? What's the first thing that happens? TSA, 
our good friends, the TSA. No water, no containers over four ounces. Take out your laptop, take off your shoes, take off your belt. Unless you have TSA pre-check, which I have, and you should have. That's like not having an easy tag on the beltway. I mean, what, what are these people thinking? They don't have these easy tags. Um, get TSA pre-check, it's amazing. But the airport is an incredibly restrictive place. We've all experienced this if you've flown. You know what's even more restrictive? Is when you get on the actual airplane. And the plane that we flew on, it looked like a model for an actual airplane, this, the size of this plane. The ceiling felt like a kid's playhouse when we got in there. And this plane was so tiny, you couldn't bring your roller bags. And that's what I had. I had my little roller carry-on. It's too big. You got to check it at the gate. What else happens? Tray table up, seat up, seatbelt on, plane on airplane mode. Do you realize how much you get bossed around when you fly? And no one ever says, I'm living by grace. Don't you tell me what to do. I've been set free. No, we, we hear these commands. We hear these restrictions. And if you want to fly, you follow them. Or you go Alec Baldwin and get kicked off the plane. Like, you can't play Candy Crush the whole time. They tell you, turn your phone on airplane mode. That's just the way it is. It's for your good. It's for your safety and for everyone else around you. And do you see what Jesus was saying? Verse 13, look, look at what Jesus says again. Enter through the narrow gate. It's restrictive, but the other gate, look, it's wide and the road broad, but that leads to destruction. Verse 14, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road. So Jesus is saying, following me, it is a narrow path and it's difficult, but it leads to eternal life. And this is all for your good. And beloved, there is a narrowness to following Jesus. There are restrictions he will tell us there are things you must toss in the trash can as you walk with me. He will say that luggage of sin that you want to carry on, we dealt with that at the gate. You can't bring it on. He will say, fasten your seatbelt. Don't fiddle with the smoke detectors either. What Jesus has been teaching us through the Sermon on the Mount is the narrowness and the difficulties of following him. Don't you think... Uh, not retaliating against people, that is narrow. The world says, fire back. Jesus says, no, turn the other cheek. The world says, indulge your desires. Jesus says, rip out your eyes if you have to. Before Jesus does all of that, he says something we cannot miss. And in a, in a church like ours and in a place like ours, we could easily overlook. It's verse 13. Here's where, here's where we begin. We must enter you must decide to follow Jesus. Look at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. Many, but there's another gate that's narrow. And Jesus says, enter in the narrow one, not the broad one. So what Jesus is now doing as he's concluding the Sermon on the Mount, he is saying, friends, everyone listening, you are at a fork in the road for your life. Jesus' listeners who've heard him from the beginning of chapter 5, and if you've been here and you're here right now, you too, you are at a fork in the road in your life. You have two options set before you. There is a wide gate, and it's broad, and it's easy. It is non-restrictive, and it's the way of the world, and they have their path. There's the other religions. Anything that isn't trusting in Jesus only, it's broad and non-restrictive. 
Think about the way the broad way of the world. Have whatever view you want on marriage. It doesn't matter. Believe whatever you want to believe about gender. It doesn't matter. Believe whatever you want to believe about preborn children. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to view about race, whatever you want to view about ethnicity, this is the broad road. And the only sin on the broad road is saying there is sin. The broad road says be what you want to be. Keep your sins. Indulge your sins. Live your truth. You do you, boo. That's the broad road. But Jesus says, where does that lead? In the road that is broad that leads to destruction. Judgment. Hell. Jesus isn't mincing his words or holding back. And any idea of Jesus that we have that doesn't say hard, difficult, gut-wrenching, huge, heavy things to us is not the real Jesus. He is laying out to us destruction is a possibility for people that are listening this morning. And Jesus doesn't want that for you. He's calling you. These are the options in your life. Narrow, me, that leads to life. Wide, broad, that leads to death. So right now, everyone in this room should be asking and thinking and wondering, what path am I on? Or we can ask it this way. Have you entered through the narrow gate? That's where Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. So what is the narrow gate? Really, who is the narrow gate? And it's Jesus himself when he says in John 10, he says, truly I tell you, This is a way of Jesus saying, guys, I'm not lying. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. There's a lot of false messiahs and people out there trying to say, no, follow me, follow me, follow me. But Jesus says, I am the enter. I am the gate. I am the narrow gate. And if anyone Not if you have your life together, not if you grew up a Christian, not if you grew up in a Christian home. Anyone is anyone. And anyone in this room can be anyone. You don't have to know a certain amount of Bible to be anyone. But if anyone enters by me, not your accomplishments, not your good deeds, not by trying to be a good person, not by impressing others, you enter by me, he will be saved. And will come in and go out and find pasture, eternal life. So Jesus is asking and saying, have you entered? Have you been born again? Have you, have you entered with Jesus? Have you entered in Jesus? And have you entered through Jesus? And this is the narrow gate. Jesus is saying later in John 14, I am the only way. And Jesus' early apostles knew this too in Acts 4 when they say, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And Jesus speaks this way. His apostles speak this way because they know and he knows. And as a pastor, I know is that we have a great temptation in the Bible Belt and in a city like Houston and a community like Tomball and Spring and Cypress and the Woodlands and all these other areas is that we have a great danger of respecting Jesus's teachings without ever actually entering into Christ himself. One of the great dangers in the Bible Belt is that you can be around Jesus your entire life, but never actually be in Jesus. 
Jesus is saying, you must enter in. You must believe in me. You must be born again into me. A lot of us could hear Jesus' teachings and go, yep, that's good, that's moral, that's right. If we do that, we would be better people. Jesus, I don't just want you to be better people. I want you to be born again. And, and here's why I always harp on this kind of stuff, because this is our area, this is our culture. Easter's coming up. People are going to fill up this room, both services. We're going to have to put out more chairs. Because a lot of people think entering a church service is something that you, that's good for you in God. That entering a church service is maybe one way that you could get on God's good side, how you could be saved. But hear me, entering a church service doesn't save anyone. But if you enter into Christ, that will save anyone. If you enter into the cross of our Lord Jesus, where he was crucified with iron spikes through his hands and feet, where your sins were placed on him. If you see that narrow path of him dragging that cross, him stumbling forward to the place of the skull, where he went to be destroyed for you, where he died in your place, where he was buried, where he became a cold corpse on a slab of a borrowed tomb. But if you enter into Christ, then you will know that eternal life is at the end of following him because Jesus' tomb is empty. Because his father rose him from the dead and put him at his right hand. And Jesus now reigns over the universe and invites sinners like you and me to enter into his life. See, we don't need Jesus to enter into our lives to enter into our hearts. That's a lot of times how we talk, invite Jesus into your life. What Jesus says, I'm inviting you into my life. He doesn't say, let me enter in. He says, I calling you to enter in to me. Have you? Enter in. Look at 13, he says, enter. Come, decide. Believe, he says later, come to me. And sometimes we can get so theological that we lose biblical language. Jesus is calling for a decision. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Or have you just attended church? Like the old hymn says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. The narrow road before me, the world behind me, the broad road behind me, I'm walking with Jesus. And there's one thing that we as cultural Christians in a cultural area of Christianity that we can get so confused about and so wrong for decades is we have an overemphasis on decisions. Have you made a decision for Christ? How many decisions have there been for Christ? How many people decided for Christ at the camp? How many people decided for Christ at VBS? How many decisions have there been? Beloved, lots of people make decisions for Christ, but then ditch him. Natalie and I have been working out at this gym near our house. And we found out that other church members were going there too. Chad and Deanna Rippey. He was probably there this morning. Chad, were you there this morning? Yep, amen. He was there this morning. Um, Wendy and Shannon Galloway have been going there. And uh, one Saturday, they did this intense Saturday class. It's, it's crazy. And um, we told Deanna, Natalie and I told Deanna, yeah, we'll meet you there. We'll meet you at the 10. So we decided, we'll go to the 10 together. Well, Friday night, Netflix exists. And 
we binge watched Netflix to probably 1.30 in the morning because we just had to finish this show. Like, what is happening? And we finish it. We, the alarm was already set. The alarm goes off to wake up. The kids were already up. I don't know what they ate. They did whatever they do. And, and then we're still asleep. The alarm goes off to go to the tent. I just grab my phone. Yeah, no. And just go back to sleep. We totally ditched Deanna. Didn't even tell her, hey, by the way, we're not coming. We saw her later that week, and she's like, what happened? And like, could we say, we were there? We worked out. We did. No, we decided, but then we ditched her. And a lot of times, this happens with Jesus. Many people make big decisions to follow Christ, but then what? The pressures of this world, the pride of desires, and the lusts of life, and people ditch Jesus along the way. This is going to happen all the time throughout the rest of the Gospels. There will be crowds, and then there will be disciples. Crowds follow Jesus when it's convenient. Disciples follow Jesus no matter what is going on. So this is one reason why our church's mission statement isn't making decisions and making much of Jesus. It's making disciples. People who will follow Jesus, who will enter into the narrow gate. Sometimes a lot of people make a decision, but they haven't followed him one bit the rest of their life. This is why the rest of this passage that Jesus says, not just enter the narrow gate, but enter through and then walk that narrow road. So not only must we enter, we also must endure because discipleship is following Jesus. Look what he says in 14. So how narrow is the gate? That's him. Very restrictive. It's not Jesus and other things, Jesus and other ways, just Jesus. And you can't even bring your works. Just, just Jesus. And then look, and difficult the road is what we're traveling now, the Christian life. But that leads to life. And few are those who find it. Jesus wants you to know that following him isn't always going to be smooth sailing. The disciples literally know this firsthand. The next chapter, what happens? They're in a boat with Jesus and they almost die. So they're learning firsthand. Following Jesus isn't easy. Literally, we could die when we're with him and storms and they wake Jesus up and what does Jesus do? Okay, storm, clip, that's enough. And it stops. And do you notice, Jesus could have set it up to where there was no storm the entire time. Why doesn't he just do that? Why even let the storm come at all? Who knows the mind of our Lord? Following Jesus will be difficult because we are constantly out of place in this world. Because we don't fit the cultural's 21st century views, we have first century views. We have Garden of Eden views. We have New Jerusalem views. We're constantly against the current. We're swimming upstream. The early Christians, our early brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago, they were called anti-Roman and even atheists because they didn't engage in all the things of Rome. They didn't worship and honor even the gods and goddesses of Rome. And hear me, if you are following the narrow and difficult road of Christ, you too, at some point, you will be seen as un-American. And it really shouldn't bother you. You'll be seen as not patriotic because you won't worship the idols and fall in line with the ideologies of our country. And that's fine. We belong to a different kingdom. 
Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I think we should begin to feel unpatriotic and un-American about some things even now. This is why Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount with Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful. He's saying this is the way my disciples operate. And Ray Orland identifies so well for us the way the world operates. And he says, you could call the blessedness of the Beatitudes, you could call them congratulations. You could almost interpret them that way. Congratulations to the humble, for you will inherit the earth. Congratulations to the merciful, you will receive mercy. Well, the world has theirs, their congratulations, he says. Congratulations to the entitled, for they grab what they want. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall win. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain. Congratulations to the vengeful, they will be feared. Congratulations to those who don't get caught in sin, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they'll get the last word. Congratulations to the popular, for the world lies at their feet. But see, this is all anti-Christ. We are citizens of another kingdom. And we, you will feel difficulties as you follow Christ because of outside opposition at work and in the world and the government, the pressure, the persecution, the suffering, your own temptations. Jesus says, no, it will be difficult, but he doesn't say impossible. This, the difficulty is not a let's see if this all works out kind of difficulty. What does Jesus say comes at the end of following him? Eternal life, the road that leads to life. So yeah, it's difficult, but it's also easy. This is the perplexing nature of following Christ. What does he say later? Come to me if you are tired and worn out by life. And what? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So how could it be difficult and yet easy at the same time? Because we will face intense challenges. We will face things that just put our neurons in disarray, it feels like. But then as we lean into our crucified and risen Lord, as we lean and trust his law, trust his word, trust his cross, trust his resurrection, we will find and remember when he says, do not lose heart, for I have overcome the world. And I want it for you at Calvary. I want it for you in the empty tomb. And one of the major difficulties that every one of us faces every single day, and I was so surprised by where Jesus went next, as he talks about these difficulties and this trouble and this thing. What do you think he would talk about next? Look at what he says. The major difficulty we must all be cautious of. Verse 15. Be on your guard, okay? I just want Jesus, false prophets, false teachers, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, as Jesus is setting up his new community, he says, caution, warning. There are people who are going to invade your community and invade the kingdom and look like they belong, but they want to harm you. There are wolves in sheep's clothing, false prophets, false teachers. And to them, Jesus is talking about a kind of teacher that would travel around and they would come and live along the community. They would teach there for a little bit and then move on. Or maybe they even anchor themselves there and live there and teach among them. And Jesus says, watch out. 
military style. Be on your guard. Be at your post. Don't put your guard down. But listen, everyone in this room, you are at 10 times more danger than these original heroes were. They only had to worry about one or two people living among them and teaching things at them in a public setting. Think about all the different kinds of media that come your way every single week. Podcasts. And you usually listen to those by yourself. You don't even have the safety net of a community around you hearing what you're hearing to tell you, whoa, that's wrong. Instagram, people writing Instagram posts, sharing verses, doing little Instagram videos, doing teaching. Can be good, cannot be good. Facebook, radio. You remember the radio? Books, you remember books? Blogs, other preachers, writers, YouTube. I mean, on and on and on and on. Media comes at you all the time. And Christians, we can be some of the most gullible people on the planet. We'll buy some dumb gizmo if there's a Jesus fish on it. We'll go to a cleaners, not just because they're a good cleaners, but because they have a cross on their logo. And do you know why people do that? Why they add Jesus fish sometimes? Why they add crosses on things sometimes? Because we're suckers. They know Christians will just, they'll buy it. We'll make mints and call them testaments. Christians are gonna go crazy. Christians just, and I see Christians sharing some of the craziest articles on social media. You know, there are whole websites that exist to say that article is actually not true. Snopes.com. I see Christians sharing things like, look at this 450-pound dog. Okay, Photoshop is a thing. Like, that was Photoshop. It's not real. Man kicked out of Golden Corral for eating 50 pounds of food. How dare they? Well, good. But that's not real. We're too gullible. And we need to be discerning people, especially when it comes to when someone is holding the Bible. Jesus says, you should expect false teachers to come among you and to try to say things to lead you astray, to try to hurt you, but not from the world. Jesus says, I'm not worried about the Oprah's. I'm not worried about the Dr. Phil's. I'm not worried about those kinds of people. Jesus says, I'm worried for you about the people that you got to be on guard for you about the people who are in sheep's clothing the people who are wolves, but now are dressing and acting like Christians. Their books are marketed as Christian. They speak at a Christian conference. Or they speak from a stage that has church on the outside of the building. Or high school on the outside of the building. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, watch out for goats, does he? Sometimes Christians, sheep, get freaked out by goats. We gotta watch out for the goats. They're, they're gonna invade us. No, Jesus says, hey, there are gonna be people that there will be goats among the sheep. That's just the way it is. There will be, you know, wheat and the tares. They'll be mixed up. But Jesus doesn't warn us about goats because goats are not natural enemies to sheep. They both eat grass. You don't have to worry about goats. They're not a threat to you. But the wolves are. They eat sheep. They want to harm you. And Jesus says, here's how you can tell. You know how you can tell a wolf? Verse 16. You'll recognize them by their fruit. 
Look at what he says. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? For those of us that don't know, no, they're not. We go to H-E-B. I'm like, I don't know. I got it from this section of H-E-B. Do you get milk in the chip department? No. One time, our family, we did go and gather blueberries one summer. Don't ever do that. Don't. I saw firsthand how difficult it was to do that. One is muddy, it's terrible, sweaty. And I paid to do this? Why are we doing this? Jesus is giving us a horticultural lesson to give you a theological lesson. He does this all the time. He gives a meteorological lesson in John chapter three. The spirit, the Holy Spirit's like the wind and you don't even know how it moves, it just does. He gives a meteorological lesson to teach you a theological lesson. So here he says, let's talk about farming because everyone in this room knows you don't get apples from coconut trees. And in the same way, look at what he says in 17. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. Good teachers produce good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree, verse 18, can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. So Jesus says, fruit comes from what it is. The fruit of false teachers will be obvious, he says. But what, what do we know about fruit? It takes time. Sometimes you, can, you can't tell right away. Is this, is this author trustworthy? Is this teacher trustworthy? I have no idea. It takes time. If you ever move away from Redeemer and you go checking in out of the church, give other churches time. Fruit takes time. You can see fruit in two ways. First is fruit in life. What are they like off the stage? What are they like when they're not holding a Bible in their hand? Anybody can look good up here. But what are they like at a restaurant to the server? What are they like at home? Do they have the fruit of a disciple of Christ? Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the peacemaking. Do they have the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is the way of Jesus their way? So fruit in life. And second one, fruit in their teaching. Does the content line up with the Bible? Does it line up with the way of Jesus? This is, this is, why, this is why no church will be healthy if the pastor is the smartest, most theological, most well-known Bible person in the room. You all have to know your Bibles. You, you got to. Because your elders are not over your shoulder when you're cruising the internet saying, oh, you can read that. No, don't read that. Why did you buy that book? What's wrong with you? No, don't. We're not there. We don't, that's not how this works. You have to be discerning. Like in the book of Acts, like the Bereans, who Paul, the apostle Paul is teaching to them, and they're like, hold on a second. We got to check this out. And they scan the Old Testament. He's good. You need to have a certain level of discernment and, and a nose for smelling stuff going, Nah, I need to check that. That's why Paul says, test everything. Hold fast to what is good. I, I even said something in the first service that wasn't totally wrong, but also wasn't totally right. It wasn't, it wasn't expands enough. And Kevin came up to me. He's like, hey, I would say, maybe say it this way. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. And sometimes people can go over the top with this. And that everyone's guilty until proven innocent. No, that's, that's not the way we should be either, especially if someone has a proven track record. But let's think about it this way. You know, I talk about going to the gym, and Paul uses this analogy. Be like a boxer that beats the air. Run the race. Discipline yourself for godliness. Let's say you, you're going to start working out, and you have a fitness trainer. 
And they tell you, okay, you want to get fit? You want to be in good shape? I got it. Just do jumping jacks, do 20 jumping jacks a week, and eat mostly fried food, you're there. One, that would be wonderful if that were true. And then they say, just and now take this Christian pill and you'll be fine. I mean, buy my Christian t-shirt and you'll be fine. That's easy. That's non-difficult. But what do we know? That guy's a fool. Of course, it'd be easier and fun, but that would also be dangerous. He's going against everything else that is sound advice. And here's how you can tell about false teachers. False teachers almost never say anything hard. Or if, when they do say something hard, it's they're calling you something they're calling you to something that even Jesus doesn't call you to. They call you to extra biblical difficulties. They don't sound like Jesus. They don't teach the way of Jesus. And sometimes maybe the hardest thing they do is the most difficult thing they call you to is asking for your money so they can buy their plane. Another fruit of false teachers, the kind of, or at least the kind of teachers you don't want to listen to, is they don't call you to difficult things like Jesus does. They don't say things like, you need to turn from that sin. Don't retaliate. Love your enemy. Don't fulfill your sinful desires. Rip your eyes out if you have to. Rather, false teachers, teachers you don't want to listen to, are it's all about being a champion. Getting success. God put a dream in you. You've got to chase it. Never saying, follow the narrow road. Pick up your cross and follow Christ. Die to your sin today. They don't make much of Jesus. They make much of you. They don't put the gospel at the center. They put you at the center. And if teachers don't echo the tone of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus is saying, then don't listen to them. But there's a really critical aspect to this. We could talk about false teachers, what they say, what they teach, on and on and on. But now we got to personalize it and go, what do you really want to hear, though? False teachers exist and stupid Christian books exist because people buy them. So what is it that you want to hear? What fruit do you want on your spiritual plate for your heart and life? Do you want the... Get more. Achieve. Easy breezy. Girl, stop apologizing. Or do you want the difficult, life-giving, crucified with Christ way of the kingdom? Do you want chase your dreams? Or glorify God in your body, for you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do rich people things or store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. It's a lot of these books say things like, you're enough. And then they tell you, here's all the things you need to do now. Why are you still writing if I'm enough? That should be one sentence book. You're enough. But they want to bolster up your, they want to bolster up your fake confidence and then get you into their stream of teaching. And Jesus comes and says, no one in this room is enough, but I am. I can save you. I can bring you into the kingdom. I am enough for you. 
And Jesus says, you can tell by their fruit. So what about your fruit? What does the fruit of your life show? The counsel, the advice, the books, the podcasts, the videos you read and just hear. Are you on the narrow road? Or are you on the broad road? Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you followed the crucified and risen Lord on his narrow road that leads to life? If not, enter today. And Christian, endure with him today, knowing eternal life is at the end. And that's where I'm headed with Christ. And that's why and how I will endure with him today. Every difficulty that comes, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Let's go to Jesus now and pray. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.